Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Speed Racer. Sebastian and I'm here with Steve. Hey guys. And welcoming back to the podcast, Richard. Hey, happy to be here. We're happy to have you back. Now, Richard, uh, the last time you were on, you gave us a little bit of an uh, introduction about yourself and what you do. Do you have anything you'd like to maybe plug again this week, a new comic or anything? Oh, God, yes. Thank you. Yeah, uh, my new uh, graphic novel called Fear Book Club uh, is available for pre-order right now. You can get it on uh, barnesandnoble.com. I'd prefer if you got it from your local comic shop. If you have one um, by you, you could just ask for it by name, Fear Book Club. It's published by Aftershock Comics. Or you can go to uh, bookshop.org and order it that way, and that way you're supporting a local bookstore in your area. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. It's kind of a uh, ambliny uh, ghost story about uh, middle school and just how, how freaky middle school is normally, and then we add some ghosts to it. So it's kind of like buffy-ish but for even younger yeah it's almost like um like a supernatural goonies i guess i would say that sounds like a lot of fun thanks yeah the art is awesome check out the art who's the artist the artist is a guy named marco matrone he's italian he's amazing he has totally channeled the uh middle school experience and uh through the universal language of comic books and uh he draws the the kids are really cute they're really funny they got great personality and things, uh, when they get creepy, they look really, really creepy. So he really kind of covers all the bases. It's a beautiful book. The story is just okay, but the art's awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, look for that at your local comics shop. Today, we are continuing on with our month celebrating the Wachowskis and their filmography. Because of the release of Matrix Resurrections later in the month, we are covering all Wachowskis because the Wachowskis have uh, made a lot of movies that haven't done very well in the box office uh, following their mega hit, The Matrix. They've gotten a lot of blank checks and uh, a lot of them have bounced, as uh, one of the podcasts that I would <laughs> listen to, Blank Check, would say. So we are covering them here on Tentpole Trauma, or I would like to say we are honoring them. The movie we're covering this episode is 2008 Speed Racer, based on the anime manga 
what have you. It's a Japanese property about a young man who races racing cars real fast. Now, Richard, what is your feeling about the Wachowskis in general? Uh, Sort of mixed at this point. I loved Bound when that came out. I thought that was really awesome. I believe that was their first movie, or at least first mainstreamish movie. And then um, The Matrix, obviously, thought was um, pretty incredible and sort of like Star Wars in the way that it was really entertaining, but seemed to be changing the way that movies were made. And, you know, I think we can think of a lot of movies that came out afterwards that were heavily influenced by it. But I found the the Matrix sequels to be sort of diminishing returns to the point where when I was watching the last one, is that Reloaded or I can't even keep them. Revolutions. Revolution. I was watching it and um, I got a call on my cell phone and it was on silent, but it was my brother. And I was like, I think I'm going to take this call. So I just went in the lobby and talked to my brother on the phone instead of watching the movie. So that's kind of <laughs> how, how checked out I was at that point. So that that's kind of, that's sort of my film going history with the Wachowskis up to Speed Racer. Steve, what about you? What is your feelings on the Wachowskis? I never saw Bound. Um, I did see The Matrix uh, in the theater, and uh, I keep on saying it's one of those movies that I wish I could watch it again without having having seen it before, like to have that virgin experience. But um, after seeing it and hearing about Bound and the way it like the way it was shot, I was like, oh, I should see this. And I, I had meant to see it before this podcast, but I just never got around to it. And the the Reloaded, there were parts like i feel that things i was expecting out of it it didn't really deliver or things that hinted at i'm just like well give me that you know like when they're talking about like werewolves and vampires at one point i'm just like yeah hello show me werewolves <laughs> and vampires yeah. um and then revolutions was i don't don't like the the being outside of the matrix and a large part of it's in the, the whatever, the rave scene, I think, was what turned me off of that movie. That's in Reloaded, but I get your point. Oh, okay. Sorry. But just going back to that that raggedy thing. And then, what, Cloud Atlas, which was fine. I, I jokingly, I think I said to you guys that it was like the insane version of uh, Love Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but maybe because Hugh Grant's in it. I don't know. I haven't fully watched Jupiter Ascending. You know what? I loved Sense8. So I feel they have the potential to do amazing things if they're let loose. But I mean, since they got canceled, so obviously they have a bunch of misses. I'm not going to repeat my thoughts on it because by the time this episode comes out, we will have already put out our cloud Atlas episode. And I expressed a lot of my uh, thoughts about the Wachowskis there, which are mostly positive. I think they're adventurous filmmakers and I'm always up to see what they're doing, but They don't always do things I like. That's basically how it boils down. I had only a sort of passing familiarity with Speed Racer, the anime. It was something that was on TV sometimes um, when I was a kid. I was more into the uh, big robot stuff. Like there was a cartoon Force 5 that had like uh, Grandizer and Guy King and a bunch of different like Shogun Warrior type of uh, robots. I was more into that. There was a show called Star Blazers that I really liked. So in terms of the anime stuff that was around when I was growing up, I was more into sci-fi and robots and stuff. And, you know, back then I don't even think it was called anime. It was just Japanese animation or whatever. Richard, you have somewhat of a familiarity with the Speed Racer cartoon, right? 
Yeah, ride or die, a speed racer fan. Yeah, when I was um, a kid, I would watch all the old episodes. They would uh, play them, you know, repeats, obviously, in Miami. We didn't get a lot of, we just called them Japanese cartoons then or yeah. Japanimation, which I'm, yeah. I'm sure neither one flies these days. But um, we wouldn't get, um, <clears throat> like, we never got G-Force or Captain Harlock or, or uh, Star Blazers. We didn't get that. We got Voltron speed racer and then robotech which was pretty amazing but I, especially as like a really little kid I, i'm sure i was four five six years old watching it and just loving it loving the designs and the music and kind of like when i would watch the old adam west batman show then sort of all the camp factor was lost on me it was just yeah. a really cool exciting show you know since then i mean i've gotten them on dvd i Wildstorm put out some Speed Racer comics in the was either late '90s or early 2000s, which are really beautiful. And I have uh, I have my Speed Racer uh, toys. I even um, dressed up as Speed Racer for Halloween in my 20s, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was quite a look. I got the helmet and everything, but I was just you know rolling up and you know, it was like a Jeep Cherokee or something. It was not quite the same effect, but uh, I, I wish I could have somehow rented the Mach 5 from the Peterson Auto Museum or something. But uh, anyway, if you closed your eyes and squinted, it was, it was Speed Racer. Steve, what about you? I've definitely seen the cartoon. It was on in reruns, I guess in the, I mean, I would have caught it in the 80s. I definitely grew up with uh, Battle of Planets or G-Force. And then... Um, Speed Racer a little bit, but it was more of um I'm familiar with it. I don't think I'm like I'm just a overall average nerd, so I'm I'm aware of pretty much most of the nerddoms and definitely knew the entire story of Speed Racer and and loved the show um and loved its like you know style and knowing that it was older um and of course yeah Robotech completely blew my mind and in the nineties I was watching a lot of stuff that I was able to get from Blockbuster as far as anime was concerned. No, I like Speed Racer. So what about when the movie came out in 2008? I did not see it in the theater. I think I saw a trailer or something and just wasn't really interested. And because I wasn't really that familiar with the anime, it wasn't something that was on my priority list. To me, 2008 was owned by a little movie called The Dark Knight. And my whole focus of my existence was pretty much on The Dark Knight. Um, I did see Hellboy Golden Army in the theaters because I like Hellboy, but Speed Racer just didn't make the cut that summer. And then I heard that it wasn't that good. But then later on, I started to hear from more people that they really liked it. Now, years later, I feel like this movie almost has something of kind of a cult following. I know a lot of people who feel very strongly that this is a really good movie that is an overlooked gem. Not sure I fully agree with that assessment but richard were you aware of this coming out at the time did you see it at the theater or anything like that yeah i was definitely uh, aware of it i mean you know like i said i i it was certainly aware of the wachowskis and I, I agree with your assessment that they're always taking chances and and making big swings and they certainly did that with this movie so th that's always excited i mean i remember it was probably on dark horizons or something when they announced that the Wachowskis were going to be doing an adaptation of Speed Racer. So I remember being excited about the news originally, but then when I saw the trailer and saw that it was this very, it just looked more video game to me than anything else. And I just got the sense that it it wasn't for me. You know, I mean, at that point, I was like a fanboy in, in my early 30s or something, and this looked like it was geared way more towards kids. And I didn't have any kids at that time. So it just, 
you know, was not something that really um, appealed to me. And then I think when it came out, you know, the, the word of mouth that I heard just led me to believe that it was probably not something I was going to enjoy. So missed it in the theaters. When I saw the trailer, when I heard it was coming out, I got super excited. I was inviting people for my birthday to movies um, and just buying a bunch of tickets, inviting as many friends I would come. I was super excited during it. Maybe not so much my friends. You know, you win some, you lose some. But I was definitely excited, and I'll probably maintain that level throughout the rest of the podcast. Cool. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I enjoyed it. The thing we really need to talk about up front is the visual style of this movie, because holy crap, is there a lot of visual style. In fact, I would go as far to say the visual style, while interesting and innovative in a lot of ways, is also kind of overwhelming. It's wildly colorful, which I love. I love the way the color, just candy color, popping colors everywhere. It's one of those movies that really feels like it was shot almost entirely with a green screen. We're coming off of Sin City around this time. I think 300 was around this time. So we're getting into that era where a lot of filmmakers are really sort of embracing this idea of like, hey, we can put a few things in the set and have it mostly be green screen and then just go crazy with the visuals. And I feel that they really went crazy, maybe more than any filmmakers before them have gone crazy. But in addition to the fact that we get this insanely colorful CGI world, there's also a really aggressive editing style going on here where we're getting a lot of wipes and we get sort of talking heads with all the commentators and then there's cross cutting and like time cutting and all these different things are being done with the editing in addition to this crazy visualization. And then on top of that, because this is based on an anime, we get some visualizations of sort of typically anime types of things like action with like motion lines and stuff like that. So it's pretty much an assault on your eyes and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess is personal preference. You know, I, I think it's too much of a good thing for my tastes personally. I, I think it's beautiful. I mean, there's some shots that are really astounding and some of the action sequences, I think they really had fun, like, you know, with the choreography, because you sort of think about it, like how, how exciting can you make a car race at this point? You know, like the, the Fast and Furious movies have already started to come out. They've started to kind of push like digital effects into car racing. So how can you deliver on like the, the fun and the potential of the Speed Racer cartoons where you had crazy spin outs and there were the springs under the cars that would make it flip over and these, you know, stunts that would defy physics, right? So I, I think they did a great job conceiving of that. The problem for me became that everything in the movie was in that style. And if they had maybe been a little more sparing with it and reserved it for some of the more intense you know, race sequences, I think those would have stood out for me and been more exciting. But since everything is cranked up past 11, like from just the um, fanfare of like silver pictures and stuff like that yeah. from then <laughs> on out, everything is like a kaleidoscope. And actually I, I found, the editing style may be even a little more distracting 
for me personally than the visuals, you know, and just putting the two of them together was like, it was just a bit too much. I'm surprised that we don't get a sort of message in front of the movie now that this could induce seizures, because I see that in front of almost everything now, and I can't believe they're getting away with putting this on HBO Max without one of those warnings in front of it, because man, if you have epilepsy... Yeah, a retroactive one, yeah. <laughs> Steve, how do you feel about the crazy visual style of Speed Racer? I mean, like you were saying, Richard, like right when it starts out with the Silver Pictures logo and the Village Road show, I'm just like... Wow, this looks super colorful, really exciting. It's the best you could possibly hope for for an adaption of a cartoon to live action. I want more of the things that come out today to do it. Like when Transformers came out, the live action movie, I was like, use the freaking score from the old cartoon. Yeah. Because it's amazing. And Speed Racer does that with the score and it does it with the visuals it does all the weird like you know like the the speed lines the the talking heads um all of that and then the the hyper color which was a bit much for me i actually thought there was a problem with my blu-ray but then i watched it on hbo max and it's the same thing like maybe too saturated but uh i just loved everything about it and it wasn't too much I'm, I'm just glad it was consistent i have to say though like i you know what from what little i know of the cartoon or the the uh the anime this feels like pushed way past what that's doing am i wrong no you're 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 not wrong at all sebastian i think for all intents and purposes in the cartoon anyway that's supposed to be sort of like the real world that you know everything with the racing was heightened you know it was this world where racing is this huge international support sport and there's spies and espionage and intrigue and all the racers are like really good hand-to-hand fighters too but it was pretty much our world and kind of like that the suspension of disbelief was just around the fact that there's this racing circuit with these incredibly tricked out cars whereas in the movie it's like the entire planet is tricked out everything is tricked out and i feel like that gets into some weird territory when we're expected to sort of buy into things that are real world like one thing that kept throwing me off is they're they're referring to this other racer who speed and pops used to watch old videos of or whatever he's played by richard roundtree ben burns and they talk about you know back when he was racing in the 1940s or whatever and i'm like what reality are we in where they were watching this guy in the 1940s and yet now we're when are we in the 2000s or are we just in some other world altogether but it just kind of threw me off because i'm being asked to contextualize something that happened in the past and i'm like but what does the past even mean in this cartoon world? <laughs> right, right. It is so not grounded in anything. And, in the, and this is one of the things that mm. I struggle with in this movie. And I admit this is a sort of bias and a problem on my end, probably just that it is so ungrounded. It's grounded to nothing at all like literally cars aren't grounded to the earth and they're flipping and flying around and I can appreciate that and enjoy that for what it is. But at the same time, I'm coming up against this problem of like, what do I grasp onto here? You know, like what is real? <laughs> well, like Richard was saying, 2001 through 2006, you had the three Fast and Furious movies. Um, so they were already doing car and sort of drifting. And in 2003, I think F-Zero GX came out for the GameCube. Uh, it was a 
super futuristic uh, racing game uh, with these like hover cars that would spin to hit other cars, um, mm-hmm. just like in the this movie does. And I think they, you know, I'm not sure if they were actually influenced by that, but after doing something so grounded and terrestrial as something like the Fast and Furious series, they had to kick it up a notch and also make the potential for video games and gameplay. It's vehicular combat, and they needed to push it to the level, especially after seeing, you know, what they did the Matrix. You can't just have bumping cars. They had to do something incredible. Sure. Um, and that's why the tracks are like crazy hot wheel tracks that you could even imagine. I think you're totally right. I mean, you can almost feel like the note, whether it was from Joel Silver or Warner Brothers or whatever, but it's like, how are you going to out Fast and Furious, the Fast and the Furious movies? How are you going to compete with video games out there? How are you going to, you know, like that GameCube game that you mentioned? There was also a Speed Racer arcade game. I don't know if you guys remember GameWorks. This is a deep cut. It was sort of like a Dave and Buster's. I don't know if it was just a, an East Coast thing, but it's called GameWorks. And it was just like a Dave and Buster's, but they had a really cool speed racer arcade game. And you sit in there and you had the steering wheel and it even had the letters on it. And they would light up and you'd push it at different points and you'd activate the springs awesome. or the buzz sauce. It was really cool. And in the scenes, sort of not to jump ahead, but in the scenes later on where they're doing the... Um, what is it, the Casa Cristo race or whatever, and they're going through, right. you know, the ice canyons and all that, that felt like it was lifted right out of the Speed Racer game, and, and that was pretty exciting. I didn't see the Speed Racer game. That sounds amazing. I'm going to have to look that up. Why don't you own one? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> My wife won't mind. We got room in the bedroom. We'll just move some stuff aside. <laughs> it actually made me think a little bit of um, when you were covering uh, Batman and Robin, you know, the, mm-hmm. the problem I had with the Schumacher Batman movies was the same kind of thing. It was so unmoored from any sort of physics or reality that it hurt you on a stakes level. Because, like, yeah. if everyone can sort of, like, flip indefinitely in the air, then I, my brain tells me, well, they're, they're never really going to fall and get hurt. And yes. the same thing emotionally in the scenes where, you, you know, it, it's... It's such a shame because I think John Goodman is awesome in this movie. I mean, he's awesome yeah, he in everything, is. but he is he this perfect casting as Pops, and he really plays the hell out of it. And Susan Sarandon is great in it, too. And even with these two amazing actors, like when they deliver their scenes, they're acting their hearts out. They're doing great jobs. But because everything else is just like so heightened and so pushed, I don't think those performances land with the weight that they would normally otherwise in other movies and the Wachowskis obviously made a choice with this they made a choice to go in kind of this um, very heightened almost animated style and the other option would have been to do I think another movie that came out in 2008 which was Iron Man right yeah and that was um, more my style as like a comic fan and I guess as an adult filmmaker like it paid very respectful homage to the source material but it updated it and presented it in like a real world context. And there was tons of Easter eggs, but the Iron Man armor looks like the Iron Man armor. And his name is Tony Stark. They got all the details right, but they did it in a really cool live action setting. This feels sort of neither fish nor foul. I kind of almost wish that somebody would have either done like the live action Marvel Studios Iron Man version of Speed Racer, or they had done the Pixar Brad Bird Incredibles version of Speed Racer. I think either one of those would be easier for most audiences to wrap their heads around. This one is, I think, trying to split the difference. And and for me anyway, it it's winds up kind of failing at both as a result. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a perfect way to put it. And I don't want to harp on this too much because, like you said, this is the choice that they made. And I respect them as filmmakers, and I respect that this is the choice they've they've gone with. And there are a lot of people out there who really respond to it. Just for me personally, I struggle with feeling that there are any stakes, like you said, because everything is so unmoored and so ungrounded that I'm not worried at any time that anybody's going to get hurt or anything bad is really going to happen because it's, you know, a big cartoon. And there's nothing wrong with it being a big cartoon, but it's just not my preference. For me, the, what grounds it are the performances of John Goodman and Susan Sarandon and totally. Matthew Fox. I, I love seeing Christina Ricci. Uh, Emil Hirsch is is great. I'm not familiar with his other work. I just know he's um you know a solid, respected actor. If you want to see Emil Hirsch in something that'll really impress you, see Into the Wild. He's great okay. in that. He's since had some trouble in his personal life and done some cancelable things. <laughs> I don't even know how to put it. <laughs> but he's had some trouble. But he, you know, he bounced back last year. He was in, uh, or in 2019, he was in the Tarantino movie. So he's still out there. He's a good actor. That's right. I, I do feel like his take on speed is fine. He's very much kind of being a almost blank slate type of character with a little bit of personality. I mean, he's very wholesome. He's obviously coming at things from a very moral position and he's struggling as a moral human being, but it is a bit dull, I would say. I, I'm not super captivated by him as this character. I don't find this character super charismatic because I don't know the the anime that well. I don't have a lot to base it on, but like Richard, how would you compare Emil Hirsch's speed to the speed from the cartoon? You know, I, I sort of went into this kind of predisposed to disliking him just because of, you know, what you had said, Sebastian, about some of the stuff in his personal life. I've also seen him in some other things and I thought he was kind of hit or miss. I actually think he did a pretty great job with with what he had to work with, you know, like I, you know, this poor guy had to sit in a in a mock up of the Mach 5 in front of a green screen and react like he's swerving and doing the ooh and ah that like speed would do in the cartoon. Yeah. And I think he does a really credible job of that. And I think when he has his heart to heart with Pops kind of going to act three, it's a really great scene. They both do a really good job in it. And he's He's a good-looking guy. He looks the part of Speed Racer. I mean, I think there's probably another conversation to be had at some point about, like, should they have cast a white guy in the role of Speed? Should any of these characters be, you know, white people, American people? I don't know. But, you know, I, this is the movie we have. So um, I think he did a fine job. There's not, you know, his, his arc, just like from like a storytelling standpoint, is very unclear to me. You know, part of it is like he's kind of chasing the ghost of his late brother, Rex. Part of it is he's feeling directionless. Part of it is sort of this idea of like, um, there's a line that his brother tells him early on, stop steering and start driving. You know, there's sort of like all these kind of competing things. And for me, I never really got a sense of what they settled on. And I don't know that he ever got that either. So it's it doesn't feel like his performance is building to anything necessarily. But... He's very watchable, and I think he's likable in the movie. I think what you're touching upon is something that is sort of inherent in a lot of the Wachowskis action fantasy stuff. I mean, Neo is essentially a cipher, right? Like, But he's got a very clear thing that he's wrestling with, which is like, you know, the, the hero's journey, what is my destiny? Plus, he's wrestling with what is the reality and all of this kind of thing. He's making these very 
distinct choices. Here, I think what they're trying to do with speed, I think it all comes down to the scene that he has near the end where he's talking to Racer X and, you know, speed is struggling with the fact that we've learned that the world of racing is sort of corrupt and not what he wants it to be. And Racer X tells him it's not about drive you don't do this for racing you do this because you're driven Mm -hmm. and i do feel that that theme is what they're really going for and i think they're just kind of letting the character be this sort of cipher for the theme we're not really getting it so much like oh this is what he wants this is what he's struggling with it I i feel like they're just kind of like he's the guy that's wrestling with our theme that's not to make excuses for what you're saying but i feel like that's what they're going for no, I, I get that. And I think it also, it, I'm glad you mentioned that line because I, I think I think sometimes we forget that Wachowskis are really great writers too. Like they wrote The Matrix also. And I don't know if you've read that screenplay, but it's really beautifully written. It's got some really clever and catchy lines in it. But like even just the 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 scene description in the script is great. So, you know, they, they really wrote a couple of cool lines in, in this movie too. I guess, you know, the, the only thing I would say to that is, you know, Neo has a very sort of identifiable and clear arc, you know, like he's a guy who's sort of living, he doesn't realize it, but he's sort of living in this fantasy land. He's sort of stuck like a neutral in a cubicle job and he's destined for something greater. Speed starts out the movie as like the best racer in the world and he ends the movie as the best racer in the world. I get the whole point about the racing, this racing circuit is corrupt, but never once do we ever worry that Speed is going to give in and become corrupt. It's not like in um, Spider-Man 3 when like Peter Parker gets in- infected by Venom and he's starting to act like a real jerk and he's wearing all black and he dances real cool. Like that never happens with with speed in this, you know. So again, yeah. I, like I don't I don't fault Emil Hirsch with that, or I don't fault anyone. I just that's not the story they were trying to tell. And I think you're right. Maybe in keeping him more like a cipher, it's you know for everyone to read the theme into it, or maybe we're supposed to project ourselves. Well, you're totally right. I mean, he's even challenged early on to sell out or whatever, and he doesn't at that point either. So he he's always making the right decisions. So to your point, so I don't feel that in every movie that I need to have, you know, the character change, you know, that's obviously important for narrative storytelling, but I feel like Speed Racer is more like a Captain America who stands for something. And in this case, Speed is all about racing. It's his, you know, ethos. It's more like, like Captain America, he has his character and then he maintains it throughout his stories but then people are throwing different scenarios at him and you're just putting that his stance against those different um, scenarios. And I feel that's the case with uh, Speed in this movie. And I don't need him to be anything than what he is. And they, they established that early on. Like, this is like a one-minded sort of simple individual. <laughs> All he cares is about racing cars. And the fact that, you know, Trixie saw his sort of weirdness in, you know, elementary school and was like, oh, I like this guy and like ended up with him and helped him through high school is kind of freaking amazing. (laughs) They even kind of hint that speed isn't very smart. (laughs) Right, right. He doesn't really do well in school, but he's not really good at much. But man, he's he good at racing. The little British girl that's like the gang leader amongst the popular girls in the school is like, talking to Tristy is like, yeah, people think he's a retard. And then she like punches him <laughs> or her in the face. And it's like, 
Whoa, I mean... Let's talk a little bit about Trixie as played by Christina Ricci. I wouldn't say this character has a whole lot to do in the movie. She gets a few moments here and there. But I gotta say, I got a big crush on Christina Ricci. And she is just adorable in this movie. And I sort of fall in love with her too, even with as little as she gets to do. She's got a great like sort of pixie hairdo. It's probably not in her top 10 greatest roles or performances, but I really enjoy her in this movie and she makes a very beguiling Trixie. Yeah, she's great. No, she's like an anime character incarnate. You know, her eyes mm-hmm. are so big and beautiful and I think they digitally, you know, made her lips pop and stuff color-wise and, you know, she looks great and I would say that she, her, the character of Trixie has far more to do in this movie and is far more well-rounded than she ever was in the cartoon. So it's, you're right, she doesn't get a lot of screen time, but when she's on, I think she's great. They definitely give her agency and she affects his decisions and she even gets a sort of moment in the middle of the movie, which is a little bit of a stretch. Suddenly she becomes one of the racers for about five minutes and it's like, Oh, so Trixie's a great racer, too. But, you know, we'll roll with it. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, she's been hanging out with the racer family since she was, like, seven or six. So, sure, why not? I'm sure she picked up something. Well, I mean, she can also fly a helicopter. So why am I splitting hairs? I mean, that's a skill right there. (laughs) It's basically the same thing. (laughs) No, I mean, she flies a helicopter in the cartoon. uh, You know, she's on all the adventures. I, I feel like... She plays a big part in the the anime. So seeing her so actively involved with the the caper and part of the family in this movie is just Christina Ricci is great. Especially when she says like cool beans and it's like <laughs> and so corny, but I love it. I remember that was highlighted in the trailer too. Now, Richard touched upon John Goodman and I'm glad you did because that's one thing I've really sort of taken from this movie in the few times that I've watched is how great he is in this movie. He is so good as Pops Racer. He's really the heart of the movie, for sure. Susan Sarandon is right up there, too, as Mom. She gets some really great scenes. I love the scene that she has with Speed, where she talks about how, you know, watching him is like watching somebody create art. And I think right there is the reason the Wachowskis were so enthusiastic to make this. I mean, I think that's really their mission statement here is... That's why this movie is all about (laughs) corporate malfeasance is because it's about the (laughs) battle between art versus commerce. It's clearly them sort of struggling with that issue and putting it into this movie. And she really crystallizes it in that scene with him. Yeah, no, she's great. I know the scene you're talking about. It was a standout for me, too. I, I don't know how much the themes of corporate malfeasance are going to resonate with all the kids in the audience. That's usually not something that they're seeking out. Oh, we'll get into that. (laughs) So I, you know, I mean, it's, this is kind of a long movie for something about speed and racing and moving quickly. It's like at two hours and 15 minutes, a little long. So I would have dialed back on that, but you know, her, her way into it and her heart to heart with her son, they seemed like a real mother and son. And I kind of loved all the scenes that she was in, you know, she's everyone. There's like a game, they're having a fun time. They do feel like a family. It's really cute. I think when when the racer family's together, for me, those are when the movie's really singing. I mean, yeah, that that scene you're, we're all referring to is it's a standout for sure. Um, as a artist and as you guys are artists, it definitely strikes a chord with us, I'm sure. And it's also Susan Sarandon delivering that line, and it's such a great um, the the speed racer family 
in the anime, they're like the like Leave it to Beaver family. You know, they're the quintessential family units. And then they have a monkey. It's quite um it's really tight. And I think she's a great mom in that in that mold of the sort of June Cleaver. I mean, when they're doing the montage scene, uh, making the car, she's like She's helping them make the car, and she's also making peanut butter sandwiches. I mean, she's doing everything. (laughs) Well, here's one area where we may diverge a little in our opinions, and that is we got to talk about Spritle and Chim Chim, all right? Now, I know these Spritle and Chim Chim are uh, linchpins of the anime, and they got to be in there. Polly Lit is Spritle. I don't know who Polly Lit is. I don't know if I ever saw him in anything or if he's still acting. You know how it is with kid actors. Sometimes they do a couple of movies and then they don't do any more. He could be out there acting right now as an adult and I just don't know who he is. I apologize to you, Polly, if you're listening to this podcast. I mean, I think he does what he's asked to do as Spritle. But as a middle-aged man who's not a kid, definitely those moments where we go full Spritle, I struggle with them, and I wonder if I had kids, if they would be responding to Spritle and loving his kooky antics. Now, Chim Chim is unassailable. Like, I mean, (laughs) the chimp I can hang with all day long. You won't get me to say a single bad thing about Chim Chim. I guess there were a couple of chimpanzees as actors. Sadly, there was a case brought against the production because one of the monkeys was struck by its handler at some point in the production and they got called on it by the MSPCA or whatever. But anyway, I do love Chim Chim. Spritle, uh, he comes on a little thick sometimes. I, I think he did a great job. First of all, he actually looks like he could be John Goodman's son which is totally. was kind of amazing. Like, I, you know, a lot of times in movies, they cast the kids and they look nothing like the parents. I think in this case, he was legitimately seemed like he could be his kid. I think, I feel like we're going to say this a lot in this episode. The Wachowskis made this choice to do like yeah. this amped up version of it. And, um, you know, in the cartoons, Spritle and Chim Chim are always stowing away in the trunk. They, um, Spritle talks real fast. They're always getting into trouble. They love candy. So like, I, you know, they just took all that and they just cranked it up to 11. Spritle in the cartoon is is annoying. Um, he's cute. He's always getting into trouble, um, but he's always inadvertently helping out. Like there's one scene where like in the race where they're getting assailed by like a bunch of gun toting men and there's a gun in Grace Rax's face and he like hits one with a slingshot and uh, he pre- pretty much saves the day. And then yeah, like, you know, Richard says like candy, ice cream, uh, hiding in the trunk, they're hitting all the notes for the characters from the cartoon, and I'm so glad that they're they're doing it. There's a right after the first, um, you're introduced to all the the characters in the race and Thunderhead. Um, him and Chim Chim are watching uh this world's version of anime, which is basically this post-apocalyptic, yeah, uh, Fist of the North Star thing that the Wachowskis are doing. I, I didn't even know where they came up with it. Spritle's wearing a Paul Frank pajamas with the monkeys on it. And Chim Chim's wearing the same outfit, but it's like little boy hats instead of monkeys. It's like, <laughs> it's just super genius. I I can't fault his performance. And obviously Chim Chim's great throughout. And even at the end, uh, Chim Chim gets his moment with speed, which I thought was wonderful. They're given some of the most blatantly anime sort of moments. The one you're talking about when they're watching the TV, because then it like Spritle becomes part of the cartoon at one point. 
And then later when they're the, the ninja attack or whatever, they right. jump at a ninja and we get the motion lines and it becomes completely abstract and stuff. I'm glad it worked for you guys. I struggle with it. I struggle with these types of characters in most movies and they're especially Spritel is dialed up to 11. Like at one point there's even like a whole scene that takes place where they break back into the airplane that they've taken to the um, Royalton factory or whatever because, you know, there was all this candy in it and Pops wouldn't let them have all the candy. And so we get a whole scene of them returning to that airplane as if they would have access to it later. I mean, I think we're to presume they've gone home at this point. Like, have they gone all the, or like, because Speed is visiting the factory or whatever, but they've just come along to break into the airplane or whatever and eat a ton of candy and pass out on the airplane. I might have cut that from the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're meant to believe that the, the bad guy sent the airplane to pick up Steve at his home and then, yeah, and then bring him back so that Steve could give his answer. Speed, speed, not Steve. That's me. Steve is me. <laughs> See, this is what this movie has done to me. It's fried my brain. I can't even tell the difference between reality and animation anymore. It's Steve Racer, right? Right, right. That, that... <laughs> go Steve Racer, go. That's the song. <laughs> so the that scene where Spritel and uh, Chim Chim get on a super sugar high and are going run amok in the Royalton factory, that's the scene where uh, Royalton is basically lecturing Speed on like the realities of the, the sports racing industry. Yes. And it's very heavy-handed. He's playing the totally evil capitalist and this is a kids movie so as an adult we're like okay is it a kids movie i mean it, it, <laughs> it is but uh, you know a two hour and 15 minute long kids movie but they had to put that in i think to break it up otherwise it's just like oh my god what are you talking about i think the thing with spritel and chim chim was almost like when did they dole it out you know because like that the fifth fist of the north star scene that you're talking about which for me felt like a little much but that came off of right off the heels of this like 18 minute long intro which is like setting up all the characters during the thunderhead race setting up that speed not steve speed is trying <laughs> to live up to rex's record it's doing all these flashbacks within flashbacks it's like pretty sophisticated storytelling with a lot of moving parts and and sebastian to your point whether this was meant to be a kids movie or not i kind of go back and forth on but i would say that i think most kids and most adults i was having a hard time kind of keeping track of what's going on within those first 18 minutes and it really was like an assault on the senses it's like the the track looks crazy everything even just the scenes between young speed and rex when they're in the real world like all, everything is just so so vivid so super saturated so then when you get this like fist of the north star scene after that it's like what is going on here what is this movie about if they had maybe saved that and put that scene later in the movie to kind of break things up like you were saying steve i think that would have been more effective and maybe that would have made the spritel and chim chim characters a little less annoying for you sebastian and I also think that when Spritel and Chim Chim are back on the plane and getting the candy, that's all cute. And I love that they do the thing where they dress up in a trench coat and a hat, you know, with, <laughs> yeah. with Chim Chim on top of something. You have to do that. Right. But I guess like if it was like the Speed Racer cartoon when they were running around the base, they would have seen the bad guy doing something in secret that Speed and none of the other characters would have seen. But they did. D did they? I they don't... saw the that 
um, what's it called? The oh, the spear hook. The spear hook. Oh, okay. That they had the technology, and they're like, oh my god, that's an illegal upgrade. Um, and it plays a huge part later on in the rest of the movie. Sorry, I I must have missed that. I I remember them seeing that, but I don't remember them conveying that information to like Speed. Oh, they don't. Yeah, Speed had already made up his decision that he was not gonna sign with Royalton, and right. like, I'm just saying, like if it was the cartoon. Spritel and Chim Chim would have known something and it would have been this game of like, how do they get to speed and give him the information he needs so he can save the day. It's I'm right. I'm just nerding out here, you know, but I overall, I, I think they were fun characters. I think it was just like, when do you activate them and when do you kind of dial back? No, I totally see your point. I think it would have made more sense if they ate all the candy and then they went into the factory and then they saw something, which they did, but if they saw something that then directly affected Speed's decision, like Speed was almost going to sign and then they say something. I mean, I'm doing the dumbed down version, but you get my point. Like they provide the one little thing that then changes his mind. Then it would have felt more organic. The way it is now, it just feels like, okay, we're cutting to Chim Chim and Spritel and and they're going nuts. And, you know, <laughs> for no reason, apparently. But the last sort of piece of this puzzle that we should touch upon is Matthew Fox as Racer X. Now, Matthew Fox at this point was, had just done three years on Lost, which had become a big phenomenon. So he was sort of um, hot on television. He didn't take a lot of movie roles, so I remember this being kind of a big deal. And I remember people really liking his portrayal of Racer X because it's very accurate to the anime, as far as I'm aware. I mean, he looks great. The leather costume that he's wearing looks awesome. His line delivery is clearly very modulated to sound like an anime character, which I like. He's got a very heroic face. So he, I think, cuts an effective figure as this character. And I really do enjoy him. As a fan of sort of heroic fiction and heroic characters, he's kind of the guy I gravitate to most in this movie. Unfortunately, Matthew Fox has also had some problematic uh, behaviors Um, And has sort of fallen out of favor with uh, people, I guess. I'm not too sure about the details there. Has he? Oh, really? I didn't know because after knowing none of that, I would have said coming out of the lost heyday that I would have loved to have seen him and uh, Julie Bowen, who played a a couple on Lost to be um, Reed Richards and Susan Storm back in the day. Oh, that would have been cool. Um, But if you're telling me that now, I'm just like, uh, maybe not. <laughs> Obviously worked out. He looked like he had the Marvel physique for this movie when um, he's fighting the ninjas. Yeah. He's super cool as, you know, Racer X. He, he was Racer X brought to life. And, um, you know, I kind of at the end of this, I was like, I you know, if this had been successful and they wanted to do a franchise and a Racer X movie, I would have seen that. I feel like he gets the best action scene for me personally, which is the ninja assassination and that fight in the hotel room. And I feel like he really does a good job just with the physicality. And I was watching it today and I was really impressed with like how long the shots in that fight are. Like it hadn't really registered me before in the other times I watched it. But this time I watched it and I was like, oh, no, there's some real fight choreography going on here. And, you know, obviously the Wachowskis are well known for that. And, you know, the Matrix changed the way cinema was done for a long time with the Asian cinema fight choreography. So it shouldn't be of no surprise that, 
you know, there's a good fight scene in here. But it, with all the other stuff going on, with all the crazy racing stuff, you kind of forget about that aspect of this movie. And I kind of wanted more of that, honestly. Like, I was kind of like, when people actually start fighting, and even later after that, there's sort of a more stylized hand-to-hand fight between all the characters out, mm-hmm. you know, during the, um, in the middle of the Casa Cristo race. And, you know, they're throwing more sort of anime uh, visuals in with that and everybody's kind of doing their thing. But still, I was like, if the movie had been more of that, maybe a little less of a spritle. I love it when a director doesn't repeat themselves and why repeat awesome fight scenes when you already did it in two other movies. So from there, why don't we talk a little bit about the plot and theme? Because we can talk about the real kid-friendly theme of... (laughs) Uh, corporate versus independent uh, racing. <laughs> so one of the main thrusts of this film is how the villain of the film is uh, E.P. Royalton is played by uh, Roger Allen. Roger Allen is a British actor. I haven't seen him in too many things, but he was in V for Vendetta. He played one of the characters in that, which the Wachowskis had produced and written. So they loved his villainous turn in that movie, obviously, and brought him over to play the villain here. I think he does a great job being the villain of this piece. He looks the part. He sounds the part. He acts the part. He owns this company, Royalton Racing or whatever, and he wants to get this hot new racer, speed racer on his team. So he's sort of like trying to offer them pops and speed this sort of, I don't know, hybrid deal or something where, you know, he's going to be giving them, quote unquote, the resources they need. While I appreciate the theme that they're going for and this sort of idea of art versus commerce that's sitting in the center of this movie, is this really what we want for like a kid's movie about racing? Yeah, not for a kid's movie. I I think, you know, um, for a, a kid, the, the greater kind of threat and stakes are we love the racer family. So if anything breaks up the family, that yeah. is what's scary and compelling. That's way more interesting for kids. And I, frankly, for me as an adult, than all this stuff about what is the outcome of this race going to do to the stock price of some other company and how's that going to yeah. affect royalties? <laughs> like, I thought it was like Phantom Menace all over again, all these Not people totally. talking about all this stuff. And I like, I don't know and I don't care. It, this, I mean, again, they, the Wachowskis made a choice and I feel, I, I seem to recall it being marketed as being like a kid's movie. And the Wachowskis who did The Matrix, they're doing a kid's movie and it's gonna be Speed Racer. And, you know, I, I don't know that they got quite there, but you know, the, the scenes were like Rex is leaving the family or when Speed is leaving and Spritle is talking to him in the way that young Speed talked to Rex when he was leaving. I was like, oh, wow, this is like the sweet spot of the movie. And I felt like it was kind of staring him right in the face. And I wish they would have cut out all this nonsense about the business side of it and just focus on the heart of it. I do not disagree with that at all. And as someone that's on, I think, the Alien 3 um episode of tentpole was like saying like do you want the phantom menace um i i can't defend i can't support what you're saying about the the stock and the corporate interest thing but i actually liked it and it was sort of the foundation for you know the cartel it's the it's the entire reason why the races are corrupt and that the people are weaponized and you know trying to defeat speed like that's the reasoning why all this 
bad stuff is happening, all the dangerous stuff is happening on the racetrack is because of this main thing. And it's not because um, Speed was like, oh, I'm leaving um, racer or racing or whatever it is. Like, why would people bribe criminals to destroy a driver because he left his dad that wouldn't be enough for me at one point we get into this whole subplot with like these mobsters who like live in like a truck or whatever and they're like torturing teo tagoken or whatever who's the son of this japanese uh, teijo togokan togokan and so he's sort of involved. Like, I got to say, like, once we start getting into the weeds with this shit, I completely just lose the plot of this movie. And I mean, I get it. The bad guy is paying these guys to do bad things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure it all sort of ties together. But it's so far from what I want. This whole subplot, I feel, is just completely baffling. It's an element from the, the anime these people that are either trying to steal Pop's designs for the Mach 5 or like all these corrupt individuals that are trying to defeat Speed or make him lose the race or, you know, throw the race or whatever. It's it's all such a part of the, the show. I mean, I'm glad it's in the movie that they have these sort of cartoonish mobsters. It becomes like Dick Tracy. No, totally. that's exactly totally. what it is. Because Dick Tracy was trying to do the comic book movie back in the day and everything was hyper elevated color super saturated all the characters were like absurd like just like the dick tracy comic and and again like this movie no one was there for it because dick tracy i think bombed as well right i know my cousin left in the middle of the movie is like i'm (laughs) not seeing this well, I'm just saying, I don't know if we want to go to Dick Tracy. Here. Yes. Like that maybe is not the direction in which to go. I think that was a, a good reference because I do feel like they kind of both suffer from the same problem, which is that they, they have all the outward appearances of a kid's movie. You know, it's like very brightly yeah. colored and, and all that. And it seems very comic booky, a, a term I hate. But um, the plot in Dick Tracy was sort of like a little bit of, if I remember kind of like this Byzantine crime scheme between Al Pacino's character and it involved a nightclub and somehow Madonna's the singer was, it was like way over my head as a kid when I saw it. And I feel like all these sort of business shenanigans with Royalton and all these other, like I need an org chart to figure out where all these different parties fit into it. But I, totally. it's, I, you're right, Steve, it does explain why everything is rigged against speed later on. And I do remember like when he starts to enter that final, the Grand Prix race, there is this sort of sense of dread of like all these other drivers there are out to get him. And I thought that was pretty cool and effective. But I just I have to think there was probably a more elegant way to get to that same point without needing all of this other like all these full on scenes about stock trades that like it just, you know, for me is I'm not a finance guy. I don't find that stuff particularly interesting. I'm not very good at it. But like it's, you know, I came to Speed Racer to see, you know, racing and excitement and not these these characters that I kind of don't really know or care about talking about stocks. You hit upon something, Steve, that I think would have been a lot more sort of streamlined and would have worked better, which is that Speed Racer, the cartoon, had this sort of like almost spy espionage element. And I feel like if you had gone in that direction where like, oh, somebody's trying to steal Pops's engine 
design, you know, because later in the movie, at the end of the movie, they put this new crazy engine into Speed's car. The craziest scene is like after Speed refuses to go with Royalton, Royalton then sort of spells out this scenario that's going to happen to Speed and the racer family when he turns them down, which he's literally doing in that scene. So we get this sort of time jumping sequence where he's describing what's going to happen. And then we see this next race. And then at the race, like, I don't know, there's some sort of accident happens or whatever. And Royalton talks about how the racer family is going to be sued for Another thing kids love, which is intellectual property infringement. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, so Speed got in an accident in the race and now Pops is being sued for what? They're claiming that Pops stole something from, I don't even know what's going on. It's something um, a company with a lot of money will do to intimidate or crush a smaller competitor. They'll sue them. And the, the cost of getting a lawyer and going through the trial process is completely draining. And sometimes the smaller company can do nothing but like kowtow and collapse. I wish you were explaining this to a child right now <laughs> who had just watched Speed Race. Maybe a seven-year-old I could do it. Maybe. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with this. I just, uh, the level that I'm watching this movie, like I can see it in both ways. And just like a, a Disney movie will have jokes for the adults and for kids you know and they both work like this movie's maybe a little bit of a stretch with that it's phantom menacing it let's just yeah okay okay damn it it's that that phantom menace experience of on one end we've got jar jar and poop jokes and then on the other end we're talking about trade negotiations like it's too far apart and the truth is kids don't don't care about any of that plot stuff that's really more there for the adults you know like they like just like when you were talking about the cartoon and like it's just there's evil racers and they're out to get speed racer that's kind of all kids i think need to know um yeah and and it's honestly i think it's all i i need to know i mean we're seeing a speed racer movie so as long as it kind of holds water that's good enough for me if pops had some sort of great engine that was everybody wanted and the bad guy was trying to get it and we had cool spies who were sneaking Mm. in and trying to steal the engine or whatever like all of that it's just a really simple MacGuffin-y type of plot I think would have worked wonders for this movie. I don't disagree. And I understand, Steve, what you're saying. You're like, well, I'm an adult. I can understand this stuff. It's interesting to me. I'm watching the movie, too. There should be something here for me. And that's totally cool. I'm not disagreeing with your enjoyment of that. I'm just saying that I'm like trying to like figure out where this movie lives. And it's just throwing me so far afield. At one point, Speed's whole like moment where he's his like spirits are crushed, where the hero is laid low, is all over, as Richard put it, like being betrayed by one of his fellow racers so that the racer could drive up his dad's <laughs> racing company's stock. How as a child are you even going to understand that that's a betrayal? Like it's these strange choices of these really adult concepts being thrown between scenes of a monkey hurling poop at somebody's face. <laughs> which he actually tasted, which is disgusting. I was like, he, he like put it in his mouth. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Like even if I thought it, smelled like chocolate i still wouldn't taste it you know it's like oh my it would have been warm yeah oh yeah. yeah 
disgusting. <laughs> so yeah, you you throw the Phantom Menace thing at me. Absolutely, no, no. I automatic. I know it's a low fail. blow. No, it is. No, we we've decided that that is the bar for that kind of thing, and I can't argue with it. But I'm also saying like maybe I when I said it was a kids film, I've locked the movie in a place where it doesn't need to fully be. Well. I don't think that's just you, though, Steve, because, I again, I feel like in the marketing they were really pushing this as a kid's movie. But, you know, so many of the choices they made in terms of storytelling and even style, it just is not, you know, not consistent with that. You know, I, I think the, the movie itself has a little bit of like an identity crisis. I mean, I think we're sort of approaching the problem of why this didn't do well. Got it. No, because that's the, the thesis of Tentpole. Yes. What I'm maybe mistakenly trying to do is express how much I had a blast watching this movie and now like three times. There's no mistakes in, in, in how you feel and in, in your opinion. Judging it from an outside perspective of like trying to work out what's wrong here, I'm really landing on all of this stuff <laughs> pretty hard. I'm crashing right into the wall. Steve, I, I wish I was your friend back then because that sounds like you threw awesome birthday parties. You're inviting your friends. <laughs> you're buying the tickets. That's pretty cool, man. No, no, they, they paid me back. All right, never mind then. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the sort of central race of the movie, which is the Costa Cristo 5000, a.k.a. the Crucible. So what happens is Speed is approached by this character, Inspector Detector. And with a name like that, I have to assume that's coming right out of the anime as like no human being would ever have that title. He's played by an actor, Benno Furman, who is a European actor. I don't know where he's from. I don't recall seeing him in anything else, but he's pretty cool. He's got a good face. He's compelling. Um, and he and Racer have come to Speed and uh, the Racer family, and they want him to participate in this race, the same race that his brother was killed in, what, eight years prior. Rex was killed in the same race. And so Pops doesn't want Speed to do this. So Speed and Trixie decide to sneak off under the auspices of going on a skiing vacation and team up with Racer and... Uh, Tejo Togokan. Togokan. They refer to it as a cross-country rally. Like it's an endure race that takes over a course of a couple of days, I guess. And sort of the main thing that happens here is we get all these crazy, almost Mad Max type of racing enemies thrown at them. The, we get a crazy bunch of Vikings or something, <laughs> and they've got these mods in their cars, weapons that come out, and Speed has all these augmentations on his car and everything like that. And we're also going through these desert environs and all these different environments and stuff. I feel it's a little unfortunate for this movie in hindsight to have any sort of racing with sort of marauder like characters in a desert watching this after Mad Max Fury Road, which is my favorite movie of the last 20 years. And I can't help but compare this movie unfavorably. I know that's not fair because it's sort of apples and oranges, even though we're dealing with cars and stuff. Yeah. Fury Road came out in 2015. Like you, you didn't even have that then. I mean, come on. I did have Road Warrior though, which is very similar to Fury Road. Yes. I just can't help but think of how much better Fury Road is while I'm watching this. Yeah, but since this is a kid's movie and kids probably haven't uh -huh. seen all the Road Warrior and everything, you don't have to worry about it. They even lift, um, yeah. I think it's during the Casa Cristo race, they, they lift something out of um, You Only Live Twice when, when the ninjas yes. poison 
the character whose name none of us can pronounce except for Steve. No, it's exactly the scene from You Only Have Twice where they kill um, Bond's um, wife, um, wife in right. the movie. It's poison dripped down a string yeah. into the mouth. But in this time, it's not fatal. It's just a paralytic. The ninja fight, all the conspiracy around that, I think is... Uh, it's just great. And if you're referring to, if you're referencing Bond, that's even more amazing. I wanted more ninjas. Why can't we just be doing ninjas all the time in this movie? Like, Cause it's about uh, racing cars, man. Well, they could be ninjas racing the cars. I do like in the fight, at one point, the ninja gets in a fight with Pops and Pops gets to show his some sort of wrestling championship pin yeah. or something yeah. like Greco that. Greco-Roman wrestling. Greco-Roman wrestling, yeah, yeah. In the anime, when you find out that Pops is a wrestler, he brings out his championship belt. He's like, I got the belt, you know? <laughs> nice. And then he starts like, he does the spin above the head. I love the the Viking racers and like the the lady team and like snake oiler or whatever like yeah. the vikings get bribed with furs which i thought was hilarious and they're like the, the fur rubbing yeah. the fur all over their face <laughs> and then the the lady uh car gang they're bribed with diamonds and like at one point when she's fighting with speed she sticks out her tongue and there's like a diamond on it stud yeah that was cool the sort of character like the wacky racers kind of stereotypical enemy drivers you would expect in a speed racer show i gotta say though like as much as i like the drama and the the action stuff that's going on in this whole sort of middle chunk of the movie i don't really fully love this race like because everything is so crazy in terms of the visuals and because of the editing and the way the editing's just snapping us back and forth between the cars so quickly i just have a real tough time tracking what's going on and what i'm supposed to be kind of feeling in each or like what's the threat okay yeah i see that there's these two women and they've got crazy diamonds in their tongues and then we've got the vikings and whatever i don't track any real danger there's no point at any time during this race when I'm like, oh, shit, what's go? Oh, no, what's going to happen? You know, like it just it doesn't fulfill for me even the sort of basic elements of like, OK, I need to see them racing. I need to be see who's involved in this race. Oh, let's put it some sort of like physical obstacle coming up that they have to contend with. And oh, no, what are they going to do? Just these sort of basic things that you see in like car chases and stuff. That's just I don't feel like I'm getting it here. And maybe it's there and it's just happening so fast and with such aggressive editing that I'm just not really tracking it. And I'm also struggling with the, the weightlessness of everything and how the cars can just do anything. It's not what I want it to be. And it's supposed to be this big centerpiece of the movie. The movie's soundtrack is pumping almost all the time. And I love it because it, you know, is referential to the anime, but also... In a movie like um, a more grounded movie like the Fast and Furious series, you're hearing the engine sounds and like more of the machine sounds in the car. But in this movie, you're not. And if you are, it's being drowned out by the, the soundtrack, which I think is also adding to what you're saying, Sebastian, about it not feeling the weight of the cars. But also like, yeah, stuff is if you blink, you've missed a bunch in this movie it's it's all like very quick i think that's exactly what i'm talking about it's like just if your mind drifts for even a moment you'll miss entire beats of action that are supposedly important this whole race ends up coming down to they have to defeat this snake oiler character right 
And so they end up, I don't know, driving him off the side of a cliff or something. And but he parachutes away, G.I. Joe style. Right. Yeah. But it's so weightless. I can't like when it happens, I'm like, what happened? OK, so is it over? And then they're like, now they only have 250 miles to go before they win. And then they are immediately crossing the finish line. Like, why even tell me there's 250 more miles if you're not even going to show them driving it? I have to say, I get everything that you're saying, but I, I, for me, this was kind of one of the more successful sequences in the movie. And maybe that's just as a Speed Racer fan, like he's actually driving the Mach 5 now. I think when we first see him racing earlier in the movie, it's the Mach 6, which is cool, but it, it's not as iconic. Is it the Mach 6? I think in the very beginning when he's at Thunderhead, it's the Mach 6. Oh, because I thought when they make the car for the Grand Prix, that's the Mach 6. That I'm confused about that too, because I... This is, you brought this up earlier. Yeah, it's in, in... Maybe I just saw it wrong. Again, this is kind of a lot going on on the screen in this movie, but in the opening race, he's not driving the Mach 5. He's driving what looks like the Mach 6. It's got like a, you know, like a curve on the top and sort of a big turbine behind it. And I'm pretty sure it says 6 on the side. And that also kind of threw me at the end of the movie when they build the Mach 6 for the final race, they make like this big moment of pulling off the decal and there it is. And it says the Mach 6. And I thought, well, shouldn't this be the Mach 7 at this point? But anyway, for the Casa Cristo race, Speed is in the Mach 5. He's got like his costume from the show with like the red bandana and even the the um the theme you know the score is really starting to play like they've given us little snippets of it before but now we're really starting to hear the speed racer theme i guess the main thing about the sequence is the stakes are some of the most understandable in the whole movie for me like i don't quite get the whole stock thing but i know that steve steve Dang it. Speed has to <laughs> speed has to help this racer and Racer X is going to help him too and if they do that then they can thwart the bad guy and that's kind of like all I care about at this point. And so those those stakes are kind of clear to me and I know that Speed and Trixie have kind of snuck away from the racer family which Sidebar, the racer family is kind of progressive. Like, I, I don't know how old Speed is supposed to be, but they're like, oh, he's just going on a ski trip with his girlfriend. No problem. My parents never would have gone for that effort. Like, that's their alibi. He's a high school graduate. Yeah, they, I think he's supposed to be 18. I think he's right in that sort of period where he like, he should be going to college, but he's not because he's a racer. Oh, okay. It's a little vague. All right, he's 18. I, I still think it's kind of a cool scene. And then when the racer family catches up with him, that's kind of a fun reunion. And that's when we have the ninja fight and stuff. So I think I'd gotten used to sort of the weightlessness of the cars by this point. And I do think that the, um, this is the sequence where they go through the ice cave, right? The one that, that Rex died in. I thought that was a cool design. And I like when the cars go into the mouth of that ice skull. Yeah, I like the ice It starts to light up red from inside because of like their, their brake lights or whatever. They they were just, I think some fun little details. And also the, um, speed he doesn't have like a main bad guy in this movie. Like Royalton is an industrialist and there's not like an evil racer for him to really go up against. There's the one that he races against at the end of the movie, but it's not like a rivalry that has been building up throughout the whole film. Whereas at least in the Casa Cristo race, all the bad guy racers are very, they, they're again, the invoke Dick Tracy. They're kind of like these cool caricatures of evil racers that, 
for me, harken back to the old cartoon. I agree with you. I like the sort of emotional stuff that's going on. It's just, yeah, it's, I have trouble tracking the actual action of it. Maybe that's me. It's not really the movie. I don't think it's just you. After they win the race, we get the whole betrayal with Togo Khan. Am I pronouncing that right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, sure. Togo Khan. I don't think our Japanese name would be spelled that way specifically. It's sort of like this... Uh mix between mongolians and japanese or something i don't know we get the betrayal and this, then we get this sort of speed questioning like why he's even bothering to be in racing anymore and then he races with racer x and they sort of crash into each other and that's when racer x gives him this pep talk about you don't drive to race you drive because you're driven and, you know, he talks about how, like, one day he's going to be great and I want to be there to see that when it happens. And then one thing I really like is so this whole time, you know, we know there's this brother that's mysteriously died named Rex and that there's Racer X. So it would seem completely obvious that Racer X is really Rex. And one thing I do appreciate that the movie does is Speed comes to this conclusion pretty early on like early on in the uh, corpus christi race or whatever it's called (laughs) (laughs) and yeah speed's like i think that he even like kind of confronts rex with it early on he's like yeah we seem we work really well as a team it's almost like you know all my moves before i make them and stuff you know implying like you're my brother aren't you and then rex takes off his mask and it's matthew fox and not the actor who played his brother in the flashback opening and so speed's like oh you're not my brother now we're gonna find out later at the end of the movie that he really is uh rex and then he had his face changed and everything which i have some questions about okay like okay first of all these aren't criticisms of this and i know this is coming from the anime and this is just how the anime did it and this is why we're doing it in the movie but if racer x changed his face why does he need to wear the mask at all (laughs) like (laughs) to be cool (laughs) right it is cool i'm not arguing the mask is cool i love the mask i will never argue against a cool mask or a cool helmet however from a plot point of view you think like well he's hiding his face so speed won't recognize him but he has a whole new face so why does he need to be doing that anyway i mean that's his um racer persona because when he's hanging out with his um girlfriend minx like he's not wearing the mask he's just like a dude hanging out in the anime, it's not because he joined some secret organization to try to um, find out uh, exposed corruption within the racing industry. He just does it because he crashed one of Pop's cars and then Pop's yells at him for like, you shouldn't have been racing. You weren't experienced enough. So he goes off uh, and puts on disguise so he can um, become a better racer and only reveal that he's a racer when he's the best racer in the world. You got Matthew Fox in you. You throw in the. I don't think there was any plastic surgery in the anime. No, um, I don't think so. Yeah, this was sort of like a deep undercover thing, and he had to like erase his old identity. And so, are we to presume that in the movie, Racer X has changed his face and taken on this new identity because he's gone deep to try to uncover the corruption and racing, and he doesn't want it to blow back on Pops and the family. That's why he's doing it. Yes. Okay. Yes, he changed his face just so that they wouldn't know. I mean, even Inspector Detector says, like, just to protect people he he knows or whatever. Well, and at the end, Inspector Detector is like, do you regret changing your appearance or whatever? And I forget what Racer X says, but he's like, well, if I do, it's too late now or something like that. Yeah, I'll have to live with it. Something like that. 
I I like this scene a lot, actually. It, you know, was kind of a cool brother moment. It was sort of a, um, I also liked that it was on a track at night. So there was not a, a lot of sort of like all the pulsing lights everywhere that we see in most of the other races. And it kind of helped just my eyes focus on it. You know, the whole thing about is Racer X Rex or not, it kind of doesn't go anywhere for me in the movie. Like it, in the beginning, it seems it's just as a fan, I know Rex is Racer X. And I do like that speed clues in on that pretty quickly. Otherwise, I feel like the audience would be like, how can you not know that's your own brother? But I, I was I was surprised when he took off the mask and it was not him. And I thought, well, that was kind of an interesting reversal. And then they reversed on that again at the end. Would you have liked it better if they had just stuck with that, that he wasn't Rex? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, because I'd say like the purest Speed Racer fan in me would be like, no, Racer X is Speed's brother. But, you know, I, I guess I just also don't, it wasn't totally clear to me. The Racer family is obviously so tight knit. And so for him to convince his entire family, like to, him to break his parents and his brother's hearts that and convince them that he's dead, I still didn't get a sense of why he really needed to do that. I know what Inspector Detector said and all that, but I mean, that, that's a pretty big change you're making to your whole family just for this, this job that doesn't make much sense. Yeah, and you're forcing them to live with this tragedy. If you could get rid of organized crime and you would have to fake that you died and basically say goodbye to your family for the rest of your life. Would it be worth it? And apparently to Rex, it was. The movie's telling me that's what it is, and so I'll buy it. But sure. yeah, I mean, I, from an emotional point of view, I do sort of think it's a little cruel on Rex's part. Well, I mean, they basically say Pops was in like a depressive stupor for years, and like he didn't even know how to eat his eggs, and he was just like kind of non-responsive, <laughs> and then he starts watching this old Ben Burns race with young speed. And then he's like, I'm, I'm alive and a, and an interactive parent again. I'm not just like, well, that was, it got a little dark there for me, but whatever. He did figure out how he liked his eggs though. Again, thank goodness. With salt. <laughs> so the grand finale of this movie takes place at the Grand Prix. Uh, Togacon's sister, who's been a part of this conspiracy feels bad. So she goes to the um, racer family and presents Speed with this invite to the Grand Prix, so now he can race in the Grand Prix because her brother decided he wasn't going to do it. And so we get this sort of final race confrontation, and sort of the big crux of this is that uh, Royalton has um, Cannonball Taylor racing for him. Cannonball Taylor is played by an actor, Ralph Herfort, who I haven't don't know who that is. So he's convinced Cannonball Taylor to outfit his car with this spear hook, which is basically a cheating device. And as uh, Steve pointed out, this is what uh, Spritel saw in the Royalton factory at one point. And so, you know, we get this crazy race and they're racing around at one point. Uh, Speed's car gets kind of knocked out and it can't start. And so we get this moment where Speed... He has to figure out how to restart the car and like Pops knows what he needs to do. But um, their mechanic, who I'm sorry, I didn't even mention. I'm so remiss. Sparky. 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 Yeah, Sparky. Uh, no, I forget who's the actor who plays Sparky. Kick Gurry. Kick Gurry. Wow. <laughs> what a name. 
Kick Gurry. I believe he is an Australian actor. With a name like Kick Gurry, you can only come <laughs> from one place, and that is Australia. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I thought he was really good. I mean, he, he yeah, pretty much he channeled the uh, the Sparky from the cartoon, who was always kind of getting beat up and messing things up. Oh, exactly. Totally. Um, I love how him and Speed, um, right before the Grand Prix, they have a moment, and I, I thought that was pretty touching. Speaking of other actors we haven't really mentioned uh rain at the time a very famous korean um, actor singer pop star back in you know the early 2000s um because after this movie he did uh ninja assassin oh right 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 definitely i guess an international draw for the movie i guess more of an issue now but they were doing tons of this back in the early 2000s like uh, you have a korean playing a japanese person and even his sister Haruko, she's a Chinese actress, and granted, the, the father's a you know famous Japanese actor, and even they you know they have um Hiroyuki Sonata, who's from you know the Wolverine. You've, yeah, a, any movie with a Japanese person, he's in there. You know, he was even in the latest Mortal Kombat. Right, right. He played um sub uh, Scorpion. Yep, I love his face. Yeah, he's got an awesome face. Yeah, no. He's really like he's older too than you think. He's like in his fifty. I think he's even in his sixties at this point. Oh wow. I mean, he's been around, yeah. He looks great. He still looks the same. What this Grand Prix all comes down to, ultimately, is this whole spear hook controversy. The Cannonball Taylor manages to get his car next to Speed and spear hooks him, and Speed very cleverly like leverages both cars across this camera so that the whole world can see this illegal cheating device on the bottom of the car, which exposes Royalton and disgraces him, and he's thrown into jail. And Speed wins the race. He wins the Grand Prix, and he gets the trophy, and he promised Trixie that if he won the Grand Prix, he would kiss her on the stage in front of everybody, which he does. You know, so we're getting this really hot kiss, and I'm, like, really leaning in, enjoying it. And then friggin' Spritel <laughs> interrupts to give you a cooties warning. I'm like, Spritel, get out of the way! Can't you just give me this moment, Spritel? I mean, you could cut it so that that didn't happen. But yeah, he's he's basically the scrappy doer of the movie. You're supposed to not enjoy him as an adult. You know? It was a very Spritel thing to do. Because I was looking forward to the kiss, too. I think they actually had pretty good chemistry, those two. I think just for me, it was maybe a little burnt out on the previous races. You know, like it's especially the the, um, the Corpus Christi, the, the, the Casa Cristo one is like... It's a long race. It's like a big chunk of the movie. And so how do they top it with the final race? And there were some cool visuals in it, but it felt kind of a little small and a little anticlimactic as compared to the other ones, just because we'd had so much racing up to that point. It definitely feels a little small and anticlimactic. Yeah, but it's also a return to the sort of crazy Hot Wheels track from the from the Thunderhead course. Right. Where it's like, a roller coaster and you know it's just super crazy that's the end of the movie basically except we get these really fun chim chim credits uh to the original speed racer theme and we should say uh, michael giacchino did the m music for the movie and he uses the speed racer theme a lot and to good use i would say i, I think mm -hmm. michael giacchino is one of those composers that's 
Like he's not necessarily a great composer when you look at all of like his own original stuff. I think he does a fine job. But what he's great at doing is taking old themes and kicking them up a notch and putting them into new movies. Like he brought back the original Star Trek theme for the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. And I was like, as an old Star Trek fan, I enjoyed hearing that theme again done like with a big orchestra, which is what he did. So I appreciate what he does here. He does a good job and I love hearing the theme and I love seeing Chim Chim doing crazy stuff with crazy backgrounds and stuff. So it's a fun credit sequence. Yeah, Michael Giacchino, um, he did the soundtrack for The Incredibles. Oh, right, and I right, love yeah. that soundtrack mm-hmm. because it totally brings back that um, 60s Bond kind of score. And it's just amazing. The Chim Chim ending, I, I kind of miss the, uh, the racer family driving like vintage mm-hmm. cars across the screen in the, the anime. And I was kind of expecting that to happen. Um, I mean, even the new Mario Kart 8 does it during the loading screens you just see the characters drive across in cars um but then they they do the thing in the credits where um it's the scrolling credits but it's just the the white text is a mask for this crazy rainbow tunnel that's just swerving through um the entire credits and i I think that was cool i'm glad you brought that up because i just wanted to point out one moment in one of the races that i really enjoyed and they go into some sort of tunnel or something and there's like these horses on the wall and then the horses become animated because of how fast they're going it's like like a zoetrope exactly i love that moment that was cool i wish there was more stuff like that but i mean i should be careful what i wish for because i'm already distracted enough as it is by all the the (laughs) (laughs) visuals going on that if they did that in every scene i'd probably really be unable to follow this movie and be having some sort of seizure so it's probably good that it was only in one scene anyway the budget for this movie was 120 million and it grossed only 43 million in the u.s only 93 million worldwide so that's a pretty big bomb and especially considering like what they must have spent on marketing and all that. Like, that's a big money loser. And sort of adding insult to injury, I was sort of surprised when I was doing my research that the reviews weren't really that good either. Like, most of the reviewers just dismissed it as being a lot of visual noise, it being sort of meaningless, which I don't think is really true or or fair. But, yeah, most of the reviews just were like, it's just too much CG and... The Wachowskis have lost it and all that. Now it seems to be something of a cult classic. I mean, maybe it's a little too early to give it that distinction, but I know a lot of people who really insist that it's great. You know, look, this is the first time I've seen this movie the whole way through, and I have to say I enjoyed it. You know, I went into it thinking I was not going to like it, but I found a lot to like, you know, I mean, I think we talked plenty about some of the things that felt like a lot, but, you know, the performances were actually really, really strong. There was some heartfelt stuff and there were also fun things. I, I, I neglected to mention this in the beginning, but when we see young speed and he's at his um, desk in the classroom and he's daydreaming about being a racer and they sort of do this hand-drawn animation where his desk turns into a race car. I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, they have some other gags where he's filling out his Scantron and it's saying, go Rex, go, instead of like answering the test. Like there were just little like fun moments and beats throughout. So I, I definitely think it's worth watching. 
this is not I, I can't say that about battlefield earth no. but i can definitely say that about speed racer and i think if people haven't seen it they should check it out because there's a lot of stuff that's that's a lot but then there are the moments in between that are like wow that's really kind of a nice surprise and i think they make it worth it yeah i think if this is the kind of movie that's going to appeal to you if you're going to want to see something that's very daring visual i mean i will say that in 2008 this probably seemed a lot more cutting edge than it does now i think we're almost what 15 years or more away from this movie at this point it's starting to look a little clunky the cg doesn't look as good as it did and i know they were never really going for realism to begin with but it's starting to date a little bit where you're like mm -hmm. oh you can see where if they did this now it would probably look a little better in some areas or whatever so i think your mileage is going to sort of vary there i think you know younger people coming into this may not necessarily embrace it because it's starting to look a little dated now but you know like if you like scott pilgrim and stuff like that i think that this is definitely worth watching. It's just fun. And yes, the, the CG hasn't aged as well. Um, definitely the, the world and industries city, or even when they're on the golf cart and all the people are on a, um, oh, segways, segways yeah. or whatever, right, driving by that. Like it looks horrible now. Um, but it's all like, you know, shot on green screen. I think the Wachowskis were wanted to push the envelope on visuals at the minute it starts out the the childhood drawing the they're doing all sorts of animation. They're doing like a little flip book of, um, mm. of speed with the two cars crashing. It's a visual treat. Yeah. It's maybe much, but like it's a unique place in film history that they, they try to do it. And I really appreciate that they, they went there. And like I said, in the beginning, this is probably the best freaking outcome for this franchise as a live action i could have hoped for in 2008 all right well let me ask you this richard why do you think this movie failed i mean i think it's it's everything we covered i, I don't think it's the visuals in in like just it's not all the visuals fault i think it's how much they were used and when they were used you know like i said it's kind of a lot of a good thing i don't think they ever really kind of set the table to, to use your term, Sebastian, early on about like, this is the way the world works. This is why racing is a big deal. This is what's at stake yeah. for speed and for the rest of the world. And I think we need all that stuff. And I really think that it was like in trying to do this um, hybrid between sort of like live action and animation and video game, they just sort of wound up with something that was a little, for, they tried to appeal to everyone and wound up appealing to, to no one. I think I told you before, I worked at DreamWorks Animation for a few years, and there was always this question of like, when somebody would pitch a movie to development, why does this have to be an animated movie? Uh -huh. And I almost feel like it's the opposite with Speed Racer. Why did this have to be a live action movie? Right. Because it almost isn't a live action movie and it's not quite an animated movie. And, you know, if you're going to do a live action Speed Racer movie, then do it live action. If you're going to do an animated movie, do an animated movie. But this thing just kind of is neither fish nor fowl. It's not Uncanny Valley, but it does make you a little confused. And it's very hard to just find stuff that you can latch on to and respond to like an emotional thing and identify to. Mm hmm all audiences need that. Kids really need that. And I think even when you have the strength of the performances from John Goodman and, and Susan Sarandon and really all the cast, 
even then it's still really hard to kind of weed through all this and, and figure out what is it that I'm supposed to like really care about in any given scene. I think you pretty much nailed it right there. I, I do think that in terms of why did it fail, there's the bad reviews that didn't help. You know, I think if the reviews had been strong, it might have stood a better chance. But I also think that it was working against the zeitgeist a little bit, at least in terms of what people were wanting out of st- comic book fantasy type of movies this is you know comic book adjacent i would say Mm -hmm. being from an anime and it was originally from a manga so you know you can't actually say it's from a comic book ultimately and i mean i think at that time like you had mentioned in the beginning you know there was the we had seen the version of that done right as iron man that year i mean i think the dark knight like i said that was pretty much taking up all my mental space that summer and that was the comic book movie I wanted. I think that it was this thing with people where they didn't really want a lot of fantasy in their fantasy for whatever reason. And mm. I feel like the visual aspect of this was just so upfront and so overwhelming that I think a lot of people were just turned off of like, I don't want to see a racing movie that's like that. And it wasn't very clearly marketed towards kids, I don't think. You know, it ha- if it had been, they would have done it as just a straight, like, Pixar-style animated movie. So, yeah, it's it's what you were saying. It's neither fish nor fowl. And I think that the kind of thing that it was sort of leaning towards for adults was just not working for adults at that time. I think they're just... Adults did not want cartoonish comic book movies it looked like it was kind of you know going backwards into a direction i don't think people wanted at that time like maybe if it had come out now it would stand a better chance because i think people have sort of lightened up in a lot of ways and we now i think are more accepting with a lot of different types of comic book movies where they can be more cartoonish i think it's hard is in the right place you know i like the experimental acumen of it but i just don't think it ultimately really holds together i can recommend it to people if i think that's what they want to watch or something in that sort of wheelhouse but for me this movie doesn't hold together ultimately it kind of falls apart under its own weird weight and i think that just translated to audiences an old property like speed racer like from the 60s even though like the nostalgia for it the lifespan for that's only so strong and i'm sure the powers that be um that wanted this film made they 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 owned the rights they wanted to do something with it yeah it was just like way too late if it came out now i think it would have done even worse yeah um Mm. because like honestly who gives a shit about speed racer i enjoy it i freaking love the theme song but i was you know even me i was at the tail end of it I'm more excited for the Marvel stuff only because, you know, Spider-Man's an enduring character. Speed Racer, he's not really, I don't think, in the mindset of everyone, whereas everyone knows who Spider-Man is. Of course, yeah. Um, But if you wanted to make it animated, if you're casting John Goodman and Susan Sarandon for the the voice and they they look the part, I don't want to hear their voice. I don't want, like, a Sully from Monsters, Inc. Show me John Goodman, you know? <laughs> Show me the Goodman. Yeah, it's like, it like, oh, Christina Ricci does the voices Trixie. It's like, no, I definitely want to see Christina Ricci, <laughs> sure. you know? What the fuck? So, and, like, the just getting Chim Chim to do the stuff, he's amazing. He, like, at the end, when he gets on the golf cart or when he gets to grab some binoculars or when Spritel takes it away, like, 
Maybe they did a thousand takes of it, but I believe that monkey is part of the family. Hey, nobody's disparaging Chim Chim. <laughs> it used to be like video game adaptations were guaranteed to be bad and failures. I feel like we're actually starting to come out of that, but now it's like the anime live action like never works. It never works. We haven't had one that has knocked it out of the park yet. That's not to say it couldn't. They always threaten Akira every three right. years. Yes. A whole bunch of new talent gets attached to it. It's like, we're going to make Akira, everyone. And everyone's like, no. Yeah, I think uh, Taika was tied to that. Right, recently. Taika Watiti recently got attached. I think he's finally right. walked away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every smart person would. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it just doesn't, has there been a great adaptation of an anime, live action anime? No, I mean, you covered another bomb, uh, Ghost in the Shell already. Which I didn't hate, but it just is not a thing that works. I mean, let the medium exist as itself. I actually don't want Akira to be made. I don't want Robotech to be made. I want these things to stay as they are. You know they're going to make Robotech. You know they're going to do that one of these days. I mean, like Cowboy Bebop's getting raked over the coals right now on Netflix. Everybody hates that. Yeah. The tone is different, but the tone for Speed Racer is spot on. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear how little it made domestically and internationally like it's you know overall i enjoyed the movie and like i don't think it's a terrible movie and i i appreciate all the chances that the filmmakers took in making it i think other movies that you've covered on this show that have made more money and have been less deserving of that in my opinion so kind of surprised that it it was that big of a miss for them all right, guys. Well, I'm going to go uh, wrangle my poop-throwing chimp and uh, send in a ninja assassin to drive up my company's stock and investigate corporate malfeasance and <laughs> racing. Go, Sebastian, go. That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard... Check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoltrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.